Hey, y'all. Welcome to All About the Pod podcast with the University of Georgia Peanut Team. I am Macy Wheeler, your host, bringing you real-time updates from our scientists, extension specialists, extension agents, growers, graduate students, and everyone in between. All righty. Well, good morning and welcome back to episode 17 of All About the Pod. And we're just continuing on with interviewing each specialist. And this morning we have Dr. Harris with us. And we're just going to start off with uh, where you grew up, how you got into ag, and you can just go from there. I'm almost afraid to tell everybody because, um, you know, you might not believe anything else I say, but I have been in Georgia 30 years. So. I was going to say, if nobody <laughs> knows Dr. Harris by now, we might be messed up already. Yeah. <laughs> and I got Frosco to break, uh, back me up because he's from the same area of the country. But I grew up in the south, south Jersey. Um, and if you've been to New Jersey, you know the south is very south part of the state is very different than the north part of the state kind of like Georgia um, and uh, anyway that's where the, the vegetable crops uh, well, you know, it's the garden state right so uh, I grew up actually working on farms working on vegetable farms and actually a cut flower farm which was interesting 365 acres of cut flowers oh, wow. so that was interesting went to Penn State and then Michigan State for my degrees and then looking for a job ended up in Georgia <laughs> love it um, how I got in ag really my dad um, he was a businessman, but he loved the outdoors and, and had a big garden. And you know, I think he kind of, I tell people, he didn't really push me. He kind of nudged me. And I'm glad he did because I've loved this career. Um, UGA's been really good to me and uh, it's been a good run. Do you want to tell everybody a little bit what you do here at UGA? Yeah. Um, they so, should know, but. <laughs> um, and it's kind of interesting to look back how things have changed too. Was hired as 100% extension for soils and fertilizers. Uh, when I came in in March of 1994, the two big things that were happening were the poultry industry was expanding from the north part of the state to the south. Everybody said it moved, but it didn't really move. It expanded. We still have chicken plants up north, as you know, but we've got a bunch in the south. So we had chicken litter to deal with, and then cotton was taken off. Uh, my first three years, we went from a half a million to a million to a million and a half acres of cotton. So um, I worked a lot about chicken litter on cotton. Um, and really started working peanuts a lot more heavily when we got into um, when we switched from Georgia Green to O6Gs and we're talking about calcium requirements. That's when I really, because I had a 100% research point, um, counterpart at the time. Um, when I was hired in 94, 100% extension, um, I had a, had a research counterpart. He retired about 15 years ago when we just recently replaced him. So then I was, you know, doing research and extension. Um, and then, of course, in 2003, we started the undergrad teaching program here in Tifton, and I um, teach a required course for one of our degrees, a soils and hydrology course. So basically do extension research and teaching. <laughs> I think a lot of kids get a lot of, a lot out of your soils class. That's, I think a lot of people comment very much on that. Yeah, it's been fun. I've been actually, this will be like the 20, 20th year, I think, I've taught it. It's hard to believe. And uh, you think you get bored, but one of my strategies, I don't really try to teach it exactly the same every year. And really the classes do take different personalities. You kind of go with them where they, their interests are, but it's real uh, hands-on. Um, we do a lot of field trips. Uh, we go to Little Grand Canyon as our final field trip, which is kind of cool. Uh, if you're gonna talk soils and hydrology, what better place to go where you can see a hundred foot soil profiles and talk about severe gully erosion. <laughs> so, yeah. But uh, yeah, it's just been fun. I, I think, you know, I, I really look, when I started the class, I said, you know, you know, what do I really want these students to, to, to know when they get out there? A lot of them are going to stay in Georgia in the ag field. You know, um, I'm not going to make them memorize a bunch of things. I just want them to 
kind of learn the concepts and, and, and kind of learn by doing. People always learn better when they're hands-on and just sitting in the classroom. Sometimes I think that's where we miss out on a lot of these ag classes is that you don't get them out in the field and actually show what you're teaching about. Yeah. Yeah, you know, something, something simple as soil texture. I mean, yeah, I could go out and bring soils in. We could talk about them, but we actually go out and, and grab the soils out of a cotton or peanut field or wherever and then, and then, and then take them to a lab or somewhere else and, and you know, do the field me- method mm-hmm. and the sieve method, et cetera, to do soil texture. Right. Well, we're about, well, we only got five or six more production meetings. This is, you know, the latter end of February right now, and... I have had several questions since you're on. You might as well go ahead and repeat for the people from your point of view. One, you just mentioned chicken litter. We got a couple of people that say, hey, I want to put out chicken litter. Can I do it? Yeah. Ahead of peanuts. And what yeah. is it on the ground? Do I need to till it in? Yeah. What are some of the cons about yeah. putting out chicken litter? Yeah. And again, this is something else we dealt with early on when chicken litter got more popular. Um, so I'll tell you, uh, you know, is, is chicken litter good for peanuts? Uh, yes, no, and maybe. How's that for an answer? <laughs> <laughs> so that's a good one. Uh, yeah. So uh, the, the the thing about chicken litter, um, if you you know it's got a lot of nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium in them. So normally we don't focus on those on peanuts. But if you have really poor ground, because at one point somebody said, "Oh, chicken litter really worked on peanuts." Come to find out, it was Alabama on some really poor dirt. Right. Not to make fun of Alabama, but anyway. Um, so you know, in that situation, it might help you. Um, you know, you put it on your best land, your good dirt. You're probably not going to see a whole lot. Um, and you're kind of wasting the nitrogen that you could have used on something like corn or cotton. There is one thing we don't want you to do, and that is um, we, we actually saw some, we had a, back when I had my research counterpart, and I think Tim Brenneman was involved too, um, strip till. I uh, really don't like chicken litter on strip till peanuts because you can't incorporate it. Okay. So I would say, you know, you need to incorporate the litter before peanuts. And if you can't, I probably would not put it on strip. So does that bring about problems or what? Yeah, so it took a while to figure it out, actually, like a lot of things. Um, You know, initially we thought we were putting too much potassium in the pegging zone. And we took tests and all that, found that that wasn't the problem. And then we thought maybe we're making too much vine, right? Uh, But we actually raked the vines up and measured them and all that. That wasn't the issue. And then that's when Brenman got involved. We actually think it it increases disease. Okay. I can't even remember which ones now, but it does because that litter sitting right on the surface there. I don't know if it was the early ones for sealing diseases or it was rise like out or, rise out or white yeah. mold even maybe, yeah. I don't know. Um, anyway, it, it, it can cause disease issues. So if you're gonna put it out, you need to disc it in heavily or turn deep, it in, right? Deep turn it or disc it, that's correct. Okay. All right. And you know, two tons per acre, I tell people it's hard to get into trouble with two tons per acre. Right. You, know, you get two tons per acre, till it in on peanut, you're probably, you should be fine. Um, you know, don't you do something crazy like put four or five tons out, and that's that's a different story. But right, right. Two, two tons is a good rate. I I really think they got the uh, the gates on those chicken trucks welded at two ton breaker rate anyway, so. <laughs> which is probably a good thing. That's true. I mean, it's on, it's on what it, it's, it's not rocket. You talk about not rocket science. Yeah, it's, spread it's that just full out. Yeah, yeah. full out. So that is a. Yeah. But that's one of the one of the questions yep. I gotten mm-hmm. at some it's of the one. some of the. Um, Production meetings and the other one I was trying to think what what it was the um, was it the fine line maybe it might have been the fine line yeah uh, you know yeah. talking about that and and we tried something last year and I don't know it worked you know a hundred percent you know where we got in that problem with the zinc yep and we put top flow out just to try to see if we could minimize yep. some of the where the plants were not dead where they Correct. were just 
you know, could we bring it out a little bit? And I don't know that we really successfully done that. Uh, well, it depends on, yeah, like you said, it depends on how far along the, the, the zinc toxicity is already. Obviously, a dead peanut from zinc toxicity is not mm-hmm. coming back. But, you, you know, you, you would have thought that, that this, this new liquid lime that, that's out there is, it should bring it up in about two weeks. So if you had a peanut that wasn't borderline and brought it up in two weeks, you would have thought it would have helped it. Could have at least made it crop. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, but, but it, you know, I remember one time um, I saw a site where they had put some old hog manure and, and they had like a, a pH of five and a zinc of 40. And yeah. they had they had peanuts that had come up and died. They had peanuts that were dying and they just put seed in the ground. And I'm like, you know, until you get this pH up, there's no way you're going to be able to grow a peanut. But uh, but this fine lime's interesting. It's not like the old fine limes um, that you used to have to bubble. I, I never had experience with those. That was before my time. But... This is kind of a real fine, almost like looks like paint, white paint. Um, there is some, you know, handling issues. I would let the company spread it for me personally, um, which they will. Um, but 15 gallons per acre really will bring the pH up pretty quick. The biggest question we have, two questions we have, is how long will it hold the pH? Because right. in theory, it shouldn't hold it. But the other thing is, is calcium source on peanut, and luckily we have looked at that. And 15 gallons of fine lime. On a peanut compared to a thousand pounds of gypsum is it's not as good. It's it's, right. it's definitely better than nothing. It does get calcium into the nut, um, but about about half the distance between untreated and to the gypsum. Well, if you use that on a on a field that you were low in calcium but had say a six five, and you put that. 15 gallons out, does that push it over seven? And if we're early enough, does that infect or cause problems with nodulation? Possibly. It probably won't push it more than a half a point, but it, it, okay. you know, it, okay. a really poorly buffered soil, it might go from six, five to seven. So okay. we really don't like using lime for calcium source when you don't need a pH adjustment. We, we do that a lot, um, I, I guess, because lime is easier to get than gypsum sometimes or whatever. Um, but, you know, really you should only use the lime method, lime and planting when you... Uh, when you need a pH adjustment. So what about the, um, since we're talking about gypsum a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, the coal stack power plants are shutting down. So uh, where are we getting our, yeah. our gypsum from now? There, there's still there, there's still enough of them running. You're, you're correct. Um, you know, when natural gas prices go down, they go back to natural gas instead of coal. Because that gypsum we're getting is where they're, they're burning coal. It's the sulfur in the coal. He used to go up the smokestack and come down as acid rain. Nobody likes acid rain, of course, so um, they just basically put calcium carbonate or lime. They scrub that sulfur that's coming off that where they burn coal, and it comes out as calcium sulfate uh, or gypsum. And uh, I think when the main plants we were getting it from were um, in Macon and, okay. in, and in Cartersville. Right. But I, the, the way they tell me, they have they have more than one, they have more than one burner at, at, at Macon and. They might have one that's doing coal and one that's doing natural gas or whatever. Oh, okay. and, and there's still some coming up out of Jacksonville. Oh, okay. But, you know, if we don't do that, if we don't use that, it, it, over the years, we went from, like, the old Ben Franklin, that real fine gray gypsum, to wet bulk, which was the byproduct of the phosphorus industry. We got away from that because it started having big chunks in it right, and all that. Right. But we've gone back to using some of that the way I understand Just it. having to go through and see yeah. it out. Yeah, well, the, the company just was like, we don't we don't care about you know the big chunks. we got other places we can take this anyway. Right. Right. Um, but I, but I, think, I think one of the big fertilizer companies has, has, has smoothed that out and gotten that back in the system. So I'm, I'm not too concerned. And there's still enough 
people, plants burn coal. Okay. Um, I think we'll be okay. I did remember, I thought that was the question I had about the fine line, but it wasn't. It was, and you answered this because we were on, um, I don't have Glenn with me on all the production meetings, but uh, he did answer this question at the ones that he was at, was the fact that fertilizer prices have gone up and we still have a lot of people baling peanut hay and what is the value of that peanut hay and should we continue to do it unless we're feeding right yeah peanut hay has been an interesting one over the years too um you know they tell me that a good years you have good summers good hay production grass hay production you have less peanut hay bailed up and that makes sense and it, and it is cash flow um you know you can get some cash from that peanut hay but to be honest with you if you can leave that hay on the ground that's the best thing you can do for your soil and for your crops that are coming after and you know it, we used to say um i think you, you average about two and a half of those big round bales per acre i like to put things on a per acre basis and uh you're removing like i don't know it's like 50 pounds of 50 or 60 of n 50 or 60k like only 10 of phosphorus but before fertilizer prices went up you were probably removing um, $50 per acre but now since fertilizer prices double that's, that's like $100, $100 per acre that's right so so um, you know it's the same it's the same peanut age just it's you're moving more value because it, it's more valuable <laughs> and the thing about that too it's not it's, it's a little hard to put a fertilizer value on that because like for example the nitrogen peanut hay it's not like the nitrogen ammonia nitrate urea I mean it's it's got to be broken down so right. what's the availability right. factor you know that kind of thing so um, but that, that, that's a rough estimate. But, but that comes up a lot because, um, you know, you're, there's no doubt you're removing. You're not removing all the hay, so you're not removing all the nutrients. A lot of the fine leaves right. never, never make it into the, into the bale. But, um, but, but you're removing a significant amount of N, P, and K when you do that. And you're removing all that organic matter, potential organic matter. Yeah, that's we don't have much of it. No. <laughs> no. Is it even worth it to feed? With that, or does it have? I it, mean, it's got pretty good nutrients. Okay, out. yeah. I'm, Being I'm a legume, you know, it, it's the nitrogen in it, so the protein is good. Um, and there's even some some, some pods in there that have peanuts yeah, in them. Yeah, that's true. Um, <coughs> got some got some sand in it. Yeah. I guess I, don't, I guess you I'm just got to weigh your pros and cons. I'm not a cow person. So <laughs> Me I'm neither. Yeah. I mean, if you're feeding, if you're feeding, it's a good it's a good thing to feed. Yeah, okay. uh, especially during the winter time when the grass is not there. Um, they like it. They like it a lot. Yeah. So well, it makes sense because, like I said, being a legume, the nitrogen should be like three or four percent nitrogen, which means it's got good protein. Which a cow, I reckon, can break down anything. You know, those stems are so <laughs> hard. You would think, how in the world are they breaking down? But they do. Good fiber. Yeah, this it does something. For I'm not going to eat it, but I'm glad it comes. Uh, yeah, <laughs> somebody somebody eats it quite a bit. So yeah. the. Um, those are good questions. Um, I've enjoyed doing the meetings this winter. I've done peanut, cotton, and corn. So um, we've had good attendance. Appreciate people with support and extension. Right. What other questions have you had out that you want to share to the other folks that, that were not at some of your meetings? Yeah. On, huh? Biologicals. Yeah. Um, not too many. Um, I'm trying to think in, the, in peanut per se. I'm getting a lot more questions on uh, corn starter fertilizer. There was a report out that you need to put it on both sides of the row instead of one. So that's a big question on corn. Um, and then the biological, the one that seems to be getting the most traction on corn is this Pivot Bio 40. I personally haven't tested one of our new colleagues has. Um, and you know, it, I, I think, you know, it does fix some nitrogen and all that, but it's not a, 
that's not the answer to everything. I mean, it's, you're still going to have to put commercial fertilizer out, and you got to look at the cost of that and everything. That's and, and you know, there's tons of these out there. There are tons of them out there, and the problem is most of our soils, most of you know, with peanut especially, most of our soils are in good shape. And so, if you take something that's supposed to enhance phosphorus production or or, or nitro or whatever, peanut does a good job at it by itself. But we're in good. I mean, unless you're in severe severe deficiency, which we're not in a lot of our fields. Yeah. I mean, it's... Biologicals make a little more sense on corn and cotton, to be honest with you. Like you said, peanut's very unique. Um, yeah. It's it's pretty tough plant, can grow pretty tough. To now, inoculants, I like that every year. That's kind of my... Definitely. My, my pretty much recommendation is it, that's the best $8 an acre you spend. Yeah, exactly. You know, you look at the money you're saving on nitrogen fertilizer right now, I mean, you've got to take advantage of that. And, and then you say, well, you know, I'll take a chance and not inoculate, but then if that something happens, then you're back to buying commercial. So I, I totally agree with you. I like inoculating every acre. I mean, it's real cheap. Um, you just have to watch what's being put in with it. That's the problem. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up too, because I'm going to make comment. Um, like, you know, that inoculating a peanut or soybean, which is a different species, as you know, you got to get different inoculant. But they're both rhizobia. That's a very specific relationship, and they can fix enough nitrogen for the whole plant. Mm-hmm. These biologicals, like this BioPivot 40, you you put it on the root of the corn. <coughs> it doesn't form a nodule like like this system with the legumes. It fixes nitrogen, the way I understand it, from the air that gets down in the soil. And that's the reason it's only fixing. They're, they're, they're claiming to fix this 40. I'm not sure it always does that around here. Um, so it's, it's, so you see what I mean? So it's, yeah. it's not, it's not the same. I think a lot of people think, oh, well they got it. They made inoculate for corn like they did for peanut. No, right. it's not, that's not exactly what happens. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So that's good. Good to think about. No, and, and you mentioned phosphorus. We don't have a lot of problems with phosphorus across the board. Um, I think we've been doing a good job over the years fertilizing with phosphorus. Plus we've got chicken litters got phosphorus yeah. in it. Yeah. And really, if you look at NP and K on things like corn and cotton and N and K, I put them in no order N, K, then P. Yeah. Oh, cool. But it's nice that, uh, and you know, you save a little money on the peanut because you don't need N, P, and K. Right. But don't forget your right. calcium and a little bit of boron. I'm not, we're not talking a lot. Half pound of boron. I think we're pretty good at doing that. It's easy to put some boron, liquid boron on your fungicide sprays. Um, you know, keep your pH good. You should be you should be good to go. Yeah. And if you're running six five or better, you're probably gonna need some manganese, right? I mean, most of the it time. depends on where your manganese levels yeah. are and uh, where you are. You know, the flatwood soils. We don't talk about this a lot, but the flatwood soils, which we don't have as much peanut production in the flatwood as you get towards the Oki Finoki swamp, but uh, they can actually start showing manganese deficiency about six three instead of six okay. five. So okay. um, you know, definitely over in that area be on guard but we can look at your soil samples right now and look at the and your ph and your manganese levels and predict whether we think you're going to have a problem or not and i had that question the other night actually um you know you know how often when do i spray you know we really want you to catch that problem early and spray at least two times um early fungicide sprays again would be good but also make sure there really is manganese because there's other things that can look like manganese um, okay you know, nitrogen deficiency and all that. But manganese is a little distinctive as far as the, the we call it intervenal chlorosis or yellow in between the veins. Mm-hmm. The veins of the leaf will actually stay green while the rest of the leaf turns yellow. Right. Now, whereas nitrogen, kind of the whole the whole, whole leaf, leaf turns, turns yellow, yellow, even, yeah. even the veins. And it'll so. be kind of the top, too, won't it? Uh, 
more it should be on the bottom of most plants on nitrogen but uh but um but that's usually when we're waterlogged it's usually temporary okay. that kind of thing so um maybe some of your diseases i don't know i tell people I, I spend my career looking at yellow cotton and yellow peanuts because <laughs> <laughs> that's usually it's what true. happens it's very yellow, you know? there's so many things that it can and if you got a root problem you got all kind of things going on. And that's something that we've had problems with lately, too, is you get waterlogged and you rot your roots off, and they think it's all kind of things, and they try to repair it with fertilizer, and it just doesn't work. Yeah, I forget who told me or used to say, you know, there's there's no rule that a plant can't have more than one problem at a time. That's right. <laughs> and you're exactly right. I mean, a lot of times you have nematodes, so then you won't be getting your nutrients. Well, you try to fix your nutrients, but really it's the nematodes that's causing yeah. it. So, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. And then you get a little spot of wilt thrown in or yeah. something like that. So. And these flat, you know, you're talking about those flatwood soils or Florida soils. If they get saturated and stay saturated, that's a problem. Yeah, yeah. So we've seen that be, you know, be a real big deal the last couple of years with these storms coming through. So yeah, nothing really likes. Well, there are some crops that like wet feet, but peanuts not one of them. I don't think. Yeah, yeah. I thought after 30 years, I get tired of doing all these meetings, but it's still, <laughs> it's kind of fun to me. I enjoy seeing people. Really, I really appreciate when when growers share and ask questions because that's what shapes that's our right. programs. That's right. That's or, or consultants or county agents or whatever. Uh, I mean, I tell them that all the time. You know, we do what we think they need, but sometimes yeah. we need to hear, hey, I got this problem. And it may be a localized problem, but who cares? Yeah. We, we'll look at individual situations. I mean, that's what we're here for. Well, that's the other thing, though. A lot of times, if you get a call on one thing, all of a sudden you start getting others. You go, yeah, something's going on out there. So we can kind of tell that, too, yeah. whether it's kind of isolated or going on in that. That really helps shape our programs. It's, it's kind of like the teaching thing. You know, you got to get out there and see what's going on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If I, we just sit at our desk all day and don't get out and do these meetings, we wouldn't know what's you going can't, on. You can't serve the people from your desk. That's one thing we've learned in extension. You just can't do it. No. Because if you don't see what's going on or not familiar with what's going on, you can't answer problems and or figure them out. And sometimes... We get all of us in the field and can't figure it out, so it's not like you're going to yeah. figure it out by it's yourself. Little, it's a little frustrating when that happens because, uh, you know, and, and part of it is got to know kind of everything that happened in that field and try to figure out what was the problem. And then sometimes you're not told everything. A lot of times it's just because they didn't think it was <coughs> or didn't think to tell you or they don't know themselves what happened. So yeah. um, that gets a little frustrating. I had a, had a, personal, I had a grower one time. I drove um, probably two hours from here and, looked at his field and you know we looked at it for a while and he says well can you tell me what happened I said I don't know what this is he said you drove 100 miles to tell me you don't know what it is I said well I can lie to you and make something up but <laughs> I really don't know what it is I think we did eventually figure it out that's that's what happened right. too remember you and right. I looked at a field and it yeah. took a long time and I think you figured it out I thought maybe it was some kind of herbicide damage but it turned out to be uh, nematodes oh the sting nematode one. yeah yep. sting nematode yep. yeah yep. So, uh, so and that's difficult when we're not used to that particular one being yeah a problem so and i was on one in corn and uh, i don't work nematodes but it seems like you know sometimes they're there one day and not the other so and yeah. we had somebody said i'm convinced it's nematode another person said well they're not in the sample well maybe, yeah maybe that Something happened with that sample, wasn't the right yeah. time or whatever. So you got all that to, to deal with. So troubleshooting has been a—that's an interesting part. You almost got to be like a detective. Yeah, that's um, true. You know, it's a kind of there's kind of an art, an art and science to troubleshooting. I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, we don't. 
have the time and, and to go look at all the farmers' good fields all the time. Well, I tell people that all the time. You yeah. know, I'd love to come out and see eight thousand pound field, right, or seven thousand or six thousand. Yeah. Say this is doggone good looking peanuts, but I don't get called for that. <laughs> yeah, and we need to look at those sometimes because that means everything went right, so we know what's right. That's you know, true. a lot of times you don't you got, you know what you got to know what's right to, to figure out if it's not right. So, yeah. uh, um, well, I had somebody tell me one time, you're just always negative. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, well, you show me these to, problems. I'm trying to yeah. share the problems so that you won't won't have an issue with it. So that's a positive swing, not a negative. It's like not, it's like not seeing Jim Cantori at your place with the weather report. You know, maybe yes. you don't want to see yes. us on your field. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but but no, but no, we appreciate you yeah. coming on. Yeah, Thank yeah, you. yeah. It's been a been a been a good run. Like I said, proud member of the peanut and cotton teams. It's uh, been good to work with everybody. Yep. I'm going to be wrapping up soon. Yeah. yeah. No, no official announcements, but uh, <laughs> looking to maybe uh, wrap it up with UGA and then semi-retire and do something else. Well, we just need to get UGA to get kicked in about finding a replacement before yeah. we lose you. That's the problem yeah. we got to do. Yeah. And I'm part of this thing we need to do. Yeah. Being plugged in with, with all the teams, Georgia Plant Food. Um, yeah, I think it's think it'd be good that they could replace no, you. you do a, you fill a big role here at the university and this is not something your position is not something we need to leave just blank for a while we need to we need to make sure we have somebody right back in it um like i said it'd be great if it was filled right before you you leave so that you can kind of walk them through a bunch of stuff but i understand the way things are but we don't need it being a year two three years down the road after you leave this thing needs to be um, yeah, you strike when the iron is hot sometime. And, um, well, we're talking, you know, I'm, I'm here for this field season for sure. Um, but after that, we're looking on, so just in case anybody was wondering. Um, but I will be around this field season for sure. Good deal. Look forward to seeing you. Yep, thank you. Thank you.